Oh, yeah, right, so, like, having a fucking pager, I mean, yeah, you, you had to have a pager back in the day. You know how you have a phone now and you have a text alert sound? That's all it did. So it was like a little, it was a little device to just let you know that you needed to call a number to get some messages. So you'd call your own number to get your own message that someone left. So a lot of times you get like a number that you'd recognize. And this is when you had, you, you had to remember fucking phone numbers too. So you knew your friend's numbers, you knew your girl's number. And that number would come up and then you'd have a 911 code after it. So you'd type in your number when you call someone's pager. Like, you know, type in your number now. Beep. And you type in the number and then you'd put 911 or star 911. So it would space it. And that's how you did your shit. Or a lot of times, if it was an illicit kind of thing, you'd have... You'd remember numbers, so a code would come in, like a number one would be that guy's number, or a number 13 would be that guy's number, or a location, or stuff like that. So depending on on what you were doing and how you were doing it, a pager was was like the, I guess it was the, it was the best tool for the for the job at the time. I mean, now it, now it's the whole idea when you watch The Wire and you see them actually finding a pager's number, and they're like, what? What, can't they just turn on the motherfucker's iPhone? And just record what the fuck he's saying and doing. That's essentially how things have changed in such a short period of time. Hi there, I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And you're listening to The Wire Stripped. It's the show where we watch every single episode of HBO's The Wire. And we recap it and we talk about it and we meet the people who made it. Yeah, we meet the the cast and the crew, celebrity fans and hear from some of you guys too. And this episode uh, we're going to be watching and talking about season one. Episode 7, it's called One Arrest. And this is our chat which we recorded in the pits of Baltimore, a.k.a. the streets of London. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon, walk the straight and narrow track. When you walk with Jesus... He's gonna save your soul Just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole He got the fire and the fury Dave, where are we? Uh, we're currently on the rooftops. Yeah. Uh, we've got a wiretap in progress. Yeah, we're, we're overlooking the pits. We're looking, at the, we're looking at the phone booths, waiting for some... What are they called? Pages. <laughs> Pages. <laughs> the technology is so outdated we had forgotten. Literally forgotten the name for well, what that was. What would the 21st century version of this be? It would just be a and really it, oh, I think small we mobile. About, <laughs> yeah, a really small mobile. And an encrypted WhatsApp group. An encrypted WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah, so in, impossible to crack. So in this day and age, it would be how are they... Yeah, there wouldn't be a why because it would just be doing yeah. stuff on WhatsApp, which is, as we know, every time you send a new message to someone... It's encrypted, so, so the, no one else could read it. So the plot would be uh, Judge Phylum trying to um, uh, petition Facebook to release the so, uh, information. Yeah, it, drug dealer release it in yeah. the encrypting code. <laughs> and then there'd be a big privacy battle yeah. and discussion. Yeah, <laughs> come on, David Simon, write it. I like like it. the wire follow-up that like we all it. want for the 21st century. Um, so we are here to talk about the Wire season one, episode seven, titled "One Arrest." Yeah. Uh, Kobe, what was the quote from this? The quote from this is, a man must have a code. This is Bunk. The Bunk. Yeah. I love this. (laughs) Bunk's got a bit of a... Bunk has a code in his professional life, but uh, 
he slips up a bit in his private life. It does do, yeah. As, as, we, as we find out. Well, him and Jimmy together yeah. are loose cannons. They're bad for each other. Yeah. They're bad influences, <laughs> as my mother would say. Let's talk about the three... There's four sort of main storylines in, in this episode. Sure. Uh, firstly, we've got Bird getting caught. So Bunk and McNulty are chasing leads on the Gantt case, and they get help from a, a friendly old lady... Um, down in the towers. Yeah, yeah. Who witnessed uh, Gant's murder, but doesn't want to tell anyone. Uh, she reminded me of Bodhi's grandmother a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's kind of a lady who's caught up in. She's kind of mixed up in the game, but she's a civilian. Yeah. As Freeman talks about other people later on in in the, in the series. And I enjoy. I always enjoy when we get the sort of ground eye view, the the normal sort of background person who's yeah. not involved in any of this. I've always find that perspective very interesting. She kind of doesn't want anything to do with them and these people are always very smart she's like wise to them instantly they Absolutely. try to help her with her her bag getting her bag over a curb and she's like yeah you're police aren't you if you if you not if you ask a boy selling on the corner what the you know what the uh plain clothes officers are called they're gonna say the knockers this is the voice of one of our listeners who we've called paul paul is a recovered heroin addict from baltimore and he he's telling us about his interactions with the police it's funny too, because like, you start to learn what 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 the knockers are. Like, they're going to be driving in an unmarked car, and if you see a white guy and a black guy, and they look like bigger guys together, they're definitely cops. Where if you see, you know, a white guy and two black guys, or two white guys and a black guy, three guys in a car, and they're with sunglasses on, shit. I mean, I've watched I've watched young dope boys like that were trying to reclaim an area that somebody had left open, like fourteen, fifteen, walk right up to a plain clothes unmarked car and try to sell them dope. I'm all right. I'm all right. Please, start playing. Let me understand. Y'all hang around the projects. White and black together, ties and jackets on, looking to help ladies with their shopping carts and whatever else. Police, right? Afraid so, man. You can tell she knows she knows more about it, but she just doesn't want to. I think she knows more about it, but I don't think she wants to tell because that would implicate her, and she could end up with her brains on the on the road, just like just like Gant did. Yeah. So these guys must be must be shitting themselves, really. I know, it's a very difficult thing to do. Just even be seen with the police yeah. is, is dangerous in, 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 the, in this town. Um, and that's, I guess that's kind of kudos to... I'm not sure if it's kudos to Omar, but also really set in place where Omar's mind is at. Because if he's happy sitting in the car, everyone knows he's there with the cops. He must be really, yeah. really reeling from what's happened to him, the loss of his two, two mates. I think partly it's arrogance as well. Oh, or, absolutely, or, yeah. or, or confidence. You know, yeah. Omar is a character who just strolls into robberies. Yeah. Uh, he just walks through the project. People run from him. Yeah. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care if anyone sees him working with the cops. But we're also seeing this sort of downturn for Omar, uh, this spiral where he's on this sort of road of vengeance. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't care... Who, who tackles him he doesn't care what happens to him he just wants blood really yeah absolutely yeah uh, Omar yeah still still such a dude in, in this uh, scene in this in this episode in the whole of the series of The Wire um, 
And then, oh, so Omar gives, he's in the car, he gives Kim and McNulty some valuable info about how to get to Bird. Uh, and Bird gets caught. Yeah, Bird gets caught. And yeah. this is a really cool scene. Well, first of all, the information about Bird is that he gets high on, on, on dope, basically. Yeah. And Omar says, well, you know, I know where the best dope is. I bet that Bird's going to be hanging out there, getting high on that stuff. So if you hang out there, you'll find him. And that's a really cool scene. This is towards the end of this, of this episode. But this is the first time you actually see Lester Freeman in some action. Undercover. Undercover. Yeah. And <laughs> what did you think of his action. acting? Uh, <laughs> acting sort of drunk acting. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a drunk acting. And he smashes the bottle in Bird's face, doesn't I he? I thought that was pretty... Uh, unexpected uh, yeah, from definitely. Freeman. Yeah, like he did not expect that. This is a man who was described as a, a pussy cat a few episodes. Oh, ago. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, a little pussy house cat. He's got a little bit of Prez in him there. I think. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Maybe he's been learning some bad habits from Prez. <laughs> yeah, while, there's been while like mutual like the... kind of knowledge transfer between <laughs> exactly. Prez and and Freeman. Prez is like, here's what you do, right? Okay, <laughs> you see a suspect, you smash a bottle on their head, right? Yeah, try and blind them, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> disable them in some way you can do, but. Do what you can, and you'll you know you'll get them. Which is a plot that does also surface in this episode, yes. which we'll we'll get to in a minute. Um, but what else happened in that uh, so the bird story? In that scene where you, where the guys still don't know who Bird is, they know kind of a vague description, but they still don't know who he is. So Bubs is there as well, helping him out. Bubs does a hat trick. He puts a red hat on on Bird as it comes out from getting high. The old reliable, fantastic. Yeah. Right, the red hat, like I said, I, w- I went in blind. I didn't know. I didn't get down to sit down at the table read. I didn't get sides initially, you know, so I didn't know what it was. But I peeped it. Welcome to the Wire Strip. This Micaiah Jones. I played Lil' Man season one. Understand, here in Baltimore, it's a lot of panhandling. You can walk down the streets of not as much anymore, but it used to be. I mean, everything's for sale. You see somebody carrying something, they try and sell it because they try and get a couple of dollars to, to get they fixed. That That's just the way it is around here. It, it, it becomes second nature. It's nothing. You see something you like, you, you'll yell across the street like how much you want for it. Henceforth, that scene was able to be scripted from what is naturally here in Baltimore for this gentleman that is a dope thing. He's in the hood. You pay him no mind. When he comes up, it's laughs and jokes like you come and selling something again. Now, at the point that he puts the red hat on certain people, it allots the police a documented opportune time to still keep the informant safe with identifying these people. He's ratting the whole time, but nobody knows because he's just doing what he normally does. And that's why they know who Bird is. And that's when Freeman gives us call, smashes Bird in the face and everyone just piles on top of him, uh, taking him into taking him into custody. It is quite shocking. The they're like the police brutality in The Wire, isn't yeah. it? And it's almost incidental, isn't it? It's very much, like, accepted by all both characters. You know, the, the, the criminals sides, and mean. the police. Everyone just accepts that this is a fact of life. And yeah. it's a real testament to how every day this has become in America, even 15 years ago. Well, this is when Bird gets captured, we take him into the interrogation room. And they, yes. they take a picture. Well, um, Landsman takes a picture saying, we're taking this picture now just to show people that we know what you looked like and there was no scars on you before you left, before you got taken in here. And then, well, you have the interrogation scene and they all, and it's Bird versus, versus Kima Greggs. Yeah. And it gets a bit feisty. He is just nasty in this, isn't he? Like, he's just a piece of work. Absolute bastard. Just horrible. Uh, Which kind of makes you think, you know, you're kind of glad in a way for what happens to him, but at the same time, it's just... 
absolutely immoral yeah. and shocking. So yeah, Jay comes in, the door gets closed, yeah. and you just start to hear the, the, the beat, absolute the beat down. beat down that he gets. You gonna at least give me a fair chance, right? Yo, come on, man, don't do me like that, man. So, yeah, it's just, it's confronting, I thought. It is. Uh, it's something that keeps coming up again and again, and they don't, no one seems to be too... The, the guys on the streets seem to accept it. It happens as a part of life, part of being in the game, and the guys, the cops, seem to think that's part of the fun they get to have, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. There's a, yeah, there's a joy, and they were relishing it. Yeah. Like, they, when he rips up the photo, there's a... And Jay kind of comes across as this like kind of likable sort of asshole character <laughs> most of the time but then there's just a, like there's a, there's a there's a real vicious streak there to is, a lot yeah. of these people definitely even like we just said like Freeman bottles him in the head yeah and no. he's literally the nicest guy on the force absolutely yeah and he's happy to happy to smash him and <laughs> bottle him the dude makes dolls houses <laughs> <laughs> this story gives way to Bunk and an Omar chatting such a good scene yeah so unexpected. I'd forgotten completely about this scene. It's a great scene yeah. as well. So this is when Bird's in the interrogation room, Bunk's outside, chatting to Omar. Cause Omar's, yeah, Omar's the guy that's, you know, led them to Bird. And he's saying, yeah, so you're going to fess up, you're going to be the witness on, on this Gantra. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then they start having a bit of a heart-to-heart, don't they? Yeah. And uh, Omar's like, hey, <laughs> we went to school together. Yeah. You're in the year ahead of me. <laughs> and I love that. It's like, you just forget, we're, we're watching the divide between these two groups of characters yeah. you know we're, we're seeing the cops we're seeing the criminals but they're they're just all neighbours they go to the same schools they shop in the same places yeah. you know we see more of that later on with um, McNulty bumping into Stringer Bell yeah. everyone's just inhabiting this same world and they're just divided by the where they were born and yeah. circumstance yeah. Yeah. and, and the who the parents were yeah. completely disheartening and, and a great scene with um, yeah, Bunk a man must have a code yeah, which which is the epigraph for this for this episode. Such a good scene. Uh, another scene I liked was when Omar and Bunk meet for the first time. This is Scrooby's Pip. He's a musician and host of the Destruction Pieces podcast. And it's another one that really shows the the, the the that it's not just criminals and cops as these two separate entities. Because Omar goes, oh, are you? Are you a year above me in school or a few years above me in school when you played uh, lacrosse I think it was and that moment of right these are just two blokes from the same area from the same place who have just gone on completely different paths so yeah I thought that was a, a, a great scene the casualness of it I love Omar in general because of his completely living by his own code that isn't related to anyone else's code he'll talk to the police if he wants to talk to the police he'll He'll kill people. He'll he'll he'll, you know, have mercy on people. He'll do what he feels is right and forget everyone else. Love it. Okay, so the other storyline is back at a police HQ in the dingy basement. Prez uh, <laughs> Prez he has made a lot of progress deciphering the code. So mm. we were uh, we hear some tape, which is very lingo heavy. Nobody understands what's going on, and then they sort of all just figure it out together. Yeah. Or Prez, Prez has spent a lot of work uh, deciphering this lingo. Which is interesting because I feel like this is very much, the, it's the viewer experience in a way, isn't it? Oh yeah, I guess, you know? I, guess it's, I don't know, it's a semi-allegory to people just being thrown into it and having to just deal with what's going on there. Exactly. And um, 
it's interesting how Prez kind of untangles how he's got how he understands what's going on by saying, "Yeah, listen to what track is it? Is, is a is a Rolling Stones song." Oh yeah, <laughs> he listens to this track over and over again as a kid. So yeah. he's very good at like deciphering lyrics from garbled audio, I guess. But I mean, the Rolling yeah. Stones are a British band. They they were speaking quite clear English. I don't know what was <laughs> <laughs> so <difficult>. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess there's the thing. I guess his point is about music lyrics can so easily be misheard. Yeah. You know, there's a whole, there's some great stuff online about misheard music. Mi- lyrics. Yeah, indecipherable yeah. lyrics. Well, this whole. Did you ever used to watch Nevermind the Buzzcocks? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so was, of course. A yeah, whole yeah. round indecipherable lyrics. Yeah. So this is, this is what's happening, and so that means Prez would have been an absolute legend. <laughs> and never mind the Buzzcocks. <laughs> never mind the Buzzcocks. Oh, that would have been a good panel. <laughs> Gold Coast slave ship bound for cotton fields, sold in a market down in New Orleans. The fuck is that? Rolling Stones. First two lines to brown sugar. I bet you've heard that song 500 times, but you never knew, right? I used to put my head to the stereo speaker and play that record over and over. That explains a lot, actually. <laughs> um, and that and the Cody breaks is the kind of leads into to Stinkum and. I think there's going to be a re-up. They find out there's going to be a re-up, and there's going to be four thousand, sorry, $40,000 worth of re-up going on. I don't know what that, that means. <laughs> yeah, what's the, uh, whatever the equivalent is. They realise there's going to be something going down, and Stinkum's involved. So they get the guys, they get Greg, Sidner, Herc and Carver, get down and follow Stinkum down to the low rise, down to the pits, and set upon him, basically. The following, the following, um, the following Stinkum with the kid that's got the, that's got the eye patch, and then as the car slows down, they put the lights and they put the police lights on, and that causes the kid with the eye patch, who is the kid that uh, Prez blinded, and they just, he just runs out flat out, and heads into the pits, and then there's a chase with all the other cops, Herc and Carver and Sidner are there, and just pick him up and rugby tackle him basically it's a it's big quite a, what I liked about this was the uh, just Bodie and them just kind of watching the yeah. whole thing uh, they're trying to they're trying to will him to escape he's like yeah, get yeah, to the left get to the left <laughs> <laughs> but there's such a I laughed out loud at the uh, the moment that they all laughed at when they finally wrestle him to the ground mm. there's a moment of silence they've handcuffed him and he goes anyone got a smoke <laughs> it's amazing it's like they're all just they are literally in a game almost yeah. and he just got caught it's he like a game caught. of tag almost absolutely uh, I loved the, the flippancy of that and it's back to you know they're all just like they're all just people at yeah. the end of the day and they, and they all had a laugh about it it was I don't know so, so many good little moments in this episode yeah I mean it's like <clears throat> I was liking it to uh, a tip of an iceberg the admin hi my name's Rigsy I'm a detective I work currently in the surveillance environment in the UK uh, in law enforcement agency. I'm a big fan of The Wire, all the series, in particular Series 1. It was really uh, impactive to me. What you might see on a normal programme, which is, I don't know, the Dukes of Hazard sliding across a car bonnet and arresting somebody, that's the smallest part, that's the tip of the iceberg. And the rest of the iceberg is all the background paperwork, processing of people, the court process... You know, the fun part of, uh, let's say, it's a surveillance operation, like The Wire, and you're on buildings, you know, you, you're gathering evidence through your video cameras or you, you're logging down what's happening. That is such a minor factor to what actually happens after that. It's an absolute pain in the bum. 
<laughs> to want of a better word, but it's a nightmare. I mean, and it only gets worse. So you go from the arrest to processing somebody in custody. And then from there, you have the interview process. From the interview process, you then have potentially getting him charged. Then they have a first appearance at magistrate's court where if the uh, offence is indictable only, which let's say possession of intent to supply drugs is, which is what The Wire, the first series is about. You then have a Crown Court appearance. Then you have a, another file to produce. If the person isn't pleading guilty, then you're going to have a trial. Then you've got a long-winded trial process. And you as a detective, as, a, as the officer in the case, this, these are all your responsibilities from day one to the end to the trial. So all of this process, the surveillance, the arrest, the gathering of evidence, the production of the evidence to the Crown Prosecution Service, the interview, and then giving evidence in the trial, organising witnesses. This is all your responsibility from start to finish. <laughs> so you can imagine that side of it is the side you do enjoy less, whereas the initial bit is fantastic. Like we say, it's all tea and cakes when somebody gets arrested, but then the hard work starts. This kind of gets the Barksdale crew, that get, gets the Barksdale head honchos thinking that there's a snitch in the mix and they start to reel things in a bit yeah. in this episode as a result of that. Which is our next storyline, which is um, that scene uh, with back in Orlando's in the nightclub. Yeah. We've got Stringer Bell and we've got Barksdale and yeah. they're all like, how did they know? What's going on? What's going on? So yeah, they've no, shits to shits to. Um, they've summoned they've summoned D to the to the HQ. Yeah. To the shit HQ like, at the top of Orlando. Tighten your shit up, D. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they this is classic sort of paranoid Bell and Barksdale. Well, it's not paranoid, is it? Something's going. Down. <laughs> oh no, you're right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I may not be a paranoid, but somebody's chasing me. Uh, yeah, it's they're completely justified in this case. Absolutely. Um, and so they decide to. Switch it up. Do use different payphones. Bell tells them smash these payphones. Yeah, which turns out to be a bit of a mistake. Absolutely, because they realise. Yeah, the cops, Freeman realises that something's up. The game is up on their side of things, so they need to change their game as well. Yeah, on the on the cop side. I love this. Yeah, love this. it is literally a game. Isn't <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, it's, it is a cat and mouse thing. Yeah. just circling around each other again and again and again. I was going to say that we then have we have that we have that chat with the kid with the one eye. Yes. He's brought in. He's, he's obviously caught as part of this. Uh, he tries to escape. They bring him to the detail, and Prez kind of freaks out and says, oh, yeah, he goes to hide. Yeah, yeah goes Daniels, to coward, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the guy I hurt. That's the kid I hurt. <laughs> Don't let him see me. Yeah. It's kind of like it's like that awkward uh, moment at a party where you've seen someone you know. Yeah. Uh, but you don't want to make eye contact because <laughs> you kind of kind of you don't want to talk to them right yeah. the last time. Yeah. You kind of half blinded them, you know. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah, last time I right? saw you, I yeah, you, I smashed in the face. Uh, you lost the sights. Um, yeah. I don't want to speak to you because it might be awkward. Sars might be a little awkward. Yeah, it might yeah. be awkward. Might just hang out in the office here. <laughs> but Daniel's uh, Daniel sort of owns this. You know, we had that moment a few episodes ago when this happened. Of you know, the episode closed with Daniel's getting the phone call uh, late at night. He hears that the kids have been blinded. It's clearly affected him mm. as well. So he decides to try and make it right in his own way sure yeah pandas the kid buys him some chocolate yeah anything you want yeah just yeah. we've got we've got a vender machine <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can have anything you want apart from oh okay we've got no lip tonight so here's something else you can have and by the way do you want to do you want to be a snitch <laughs> yeah yeah 
<laughs> While you're here. Yeah. Uh, also, sorry about blinding you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the kid decides that it's not the best offer. And uh, I don't remember his exact words, but they were something along the lines of uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much yeah, yeah, yeah. what he says. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, our other plot line was very enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, this is the sort of front line comic relief uh, plot. <laughs> it's Sant'Angelo and his, uh, his gypsy hunt. So, so Rawls is, we had a scene of Rawls putting pressure on him. Yeah. Uh, said, you know, either, either you give me something on McNulty, you'd be a snitch, which is what I wanted you to do, or you clear some of your case files. <laughs> uh, so he decides he's going to try and clear some of his cold cases, which is more difficult than he thought. Yeah. Uh, so Jay decides to mess with him. Jay's a joker. Jay's a, good, Jay's a funny guy. And yeah, so he gives him the detail, gives him a card from a gypsy clairvoyant lady. Yeah. Madame LaRue. Madame LaRue. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just pissing himself as he's, yeah, just... <laughs> Listen to what she says, and she'll help you sort out the case. No worries. And, and yeah. I love how eager Santangelo he is. is in this. Like he's just like desperate, like anything. Madam Laurie, you scoff. Madam fucking Larue, Jay. Better men than you have turned to this lucky lady in the dark night at dead ends. You're not serious. I don't joke when it comes to Madame Larue, the woman. She has an unexplainable gift in matters of death investigation. She transcends the rational. Um, but then, the, the, obviously, the punchline of this all is that simultaneously, while Omar was in the office, Bunk has a great idea of, uh, hey, what else do you know about all these cold case murders? And gives him the info, yep. uh, and it gets and it gets solved. So yeah. from the from Santangelo's point of view. The, he did everything the psychic asked, which involved uh, was it what was it, an elaborate series of. It was uh, like get some statue and bury it, and then rub your face on it. I can't remember the Saint details. Saint Anthony, wasn't but it? Yes, it was something <laughs> something ridiculous. Well, I don't know. Did you have this uh, where you grew up? But back in Ireland, my mother she still prays to Saint Anthony. Oh, really? When she wants to find something. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Even like to the most mundane thing, like we drive into a, a car park and she's looking for a space. She's going, <laughs> Come on, Saint Anthony. Help us find a space. Like, as if he doesn't have better things to yeah, do. Yes, so I've, got, I've got to find lost children. <laughs> but this woman in Cork needs a, needs a car space on level three. And um, but that's the punchline. It, yeah. uh, it works. It works, yeah. Um, and sometimes, I, but it, it works, but it doesn't work. And Landsman says, yeah, I gave you this kind of wild goose chase. They sent you this wild goose chase, but it was actually... McNulty and and Bunk yeah. that sort you out. So Santanza goes to them and says, goes to McNulty and says, "Dude, Rawls is in your face. He wants you. He wants your ass for grass, basically." Yeah. And uh, I like this sort of little character arc for Santangelo. Yeah. Do you know, he he realised, you know, he's got that moment of realisation that, oh, hang on, maybe he helped me out. Maybe I should help him out. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what you know. If Rawls is going to be a dick to his entire department, people are going to start turning against him. Yeah. Right? True. Hi, my name's Jonathan Mack. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. My Twitter handle is uh, JP Mack. Um, I've come to this uh, The Wire Strip podcast a little late, so I've already been doing some scrambling trying to catch up, and I'm almost there. Um, I just thought I'd give a br- brief story about how I came to The Wire. Um, 
it was in series five and I was starting to read a bit of the hype as to how good this was and how this was the final episode. Um, I started watching it. I had absolutely no idea what the hell was going on. It was just too laid and too rich for me to even comprehend. So to survive, I went to the HBO website and I printed out synopses of every episode and I read it and paused at each spot just to make I understood what was going on. After a while, I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. It was fantastic. So when I finished the season, um, I went back and watched series one to five. And for me, it was like a spiritual experience. It was like, I finally got the hell what was going on. And that was a voicemail that was left on our burner phone. We have another message coming, so stay tuned to the very end, guys. Yeah, we have a burner phone. It's untraceable. You can call us, leave a voicemail. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, If you want the number, head to our Facebook or our Twitter page, and all the details are right there. Yeah, we want to listen to you guys. Uh, When you do leave us a message, let us know your name, location, and your Twitter account, and a short and sweet message. This week, we still want to know who got you into The Wire and what got you into the show in the first place. In this episode is the first appearance, and this, and this for me, Watson, is the second time round. This is a momentous occasion in this in this whole season. But this is the first appearance of Clay Davis. She she he doesn't talk. He doesn't, in his no, we don't see him. Yeah, we don't yeah. see him talk. Um, but we, his face is there. <laughs> just just his face was enough. I had the same reaction you had. I was like, yes, <laughs> Clay Davis. Uh, so he is, for anyone who's watching along, I mean, you got a little bit of a spiel here. I mean, for anyone who's watching for the first time, uh, he's a senator. Yeah. Um, and we, we we meet him at a scene uh, where Daniels is at a dinner party mm-hmm. with the deputy. Uh, he sort of deputy explains who he is. And then Daniels has this kind of weird moment where he goes and hangs out in the kitchen with the drivers. <laughs> and pretends Slumming to, it. Pretends to be a driver. Uh, and then has this sort of big slam dunk reveal moment with the driver when he says uh, what does he say you can call me lieutenant yeah most people call me lieutenant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was I thought was really lame <laughs> it's just kind of embarrassing like, what are you doing Daniels he just wants to watch some baseball or listen to some baseball yeah I guess maybe I, I guess the point of the scene is probably like Daniels doesn't feel comfortable at these parties yeah. you know, he's not one of the elite this is where he feels more comfortable even though he wants to climb the corporate ladder he doesn't feel comfortable in rubbing shoulders at these five hundred pounds, five hundred dollar celebrations. I guess exactly. It doesn't come natural to him. But I felt like this this scene kind of reminded me of that that old Kenko ad. Do you remember the old uh, the, the the lady who runs the business in in Kenko? And I have no it was idea. Like, this was back in the nineties <laughs> when like uh, uh, gender discrimination was even worse. So Kenko concocted this ad- advertising campaign where it was like this. Uh, they had a uh, female CEO and she'd go on all these business meetings uh, <laughs> with all these like misogynist really? men in South America and she'd be like uh, so do we have a deal then and then he goes well maybe I should clear it with the boss and she goes you just did <laughs> there was all these sort of the boss can't be a woman slam dunk moments <laughs> yeah yeah this is what this reminded me of for some reason uh, this sort of uh, like Daniel's just doing his reveal like that's right I'm a cop <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> you must be from Kenko. Yes, and this, this is... Uh... Most people use these beans for instant coffee. 
What are those? Uh, they're the best. We generally recommend those for ground coffee. Mmm. We'll buy all you have of these. What? For instance? At Kenko, we use beans for our instant coffee that we use for our ground. Hadn't I better clear that with the boss? You just have. I mean, for the guys who don't know, we, we, they will know more about Clay Davis going forward, but he is a wire favourite going yes. forward through the season. So You are going to love this yeah, guy. Just wait him. till he opens his mouth. Because <laughs> there's usually only one word that comes out, and it's really elongated. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, hold on. Oh, shit, we're being evacuated from the roof. Yep, hold on. It's a fire. Um, where's the we're outdoors, so I think we're okay. Although we if you're on top of a roof, a fire... Uh, it's even more of a fire hazard, probably. <laughs> it seems to have calmed down. <coughs> Back to the wire. Back to the wire. And the last thing I want to talk about is... This is... Yeah, Bubs. Bubs and Johnny Weeks here go to Narcotics Anonymous. It's also the first appearance here of Waylon. Yes. Who, become, who is one of, becomes a, an important figure for, for Bubs. Is he... I meant to look this up, but I forgot. Yeah. I'm not very good at my research, Kobe. Uh, <laughs> is, he, is he a real-life... Um, recovering drug addict because that's what the Waylon. impression I got yeah. uh, Steve Earl is a musician in real life <laughs> okay yeah, right yeah. okay this is like Kobe's here for the facts I am yeah so I'm here for the bumbling question so I saw yeah I, when I was living in Norway um, I saw I saw him playing and I was just like it's Waylon oh, from wow. Wyatt oh, no. and he's playing like a country kind of folk, folk singer and um, it was just it was just a, a blind pleasure to see someone from the wire in, in real life well, my name's John Lee Pettimore so he's a musician in real life. I don't know, I'm sure, given how musicians in the 60s, 70s and 80s had a lot of drugs. So I'm sure he's kind of used to the experience. Right, so yeah, there might be some uh, some knowledge in here. Yeah. But did we experience. just massively slander him? <laughs> we did say the word might. Yeah, Do we'll, not sue us. We'll check that out. Hello, it's producer Tom here, just stepping in with some facts about Steve Earle and his drug use. In 1993, Earle was arrested for possession of heroin, and in 1994 for cocaine and weapons possession. A judge sentenced him to a year in jail after he admitted possession and failed to appear in court. Earle was released from jail after serving 60 days of his sentence. Earle then completed an outpatient drug treatment program at the Cedarwood Centre in Hendersonville, Tennessee, as a recovering heroin addict, Earl has used his experience in his songwriting. Um, but Bubs here, I think this is the first indication that Bubs is trying to get clean a bit. He's kind of seeing like there is another side to just hustling and getting high. And this is, even though he, he takes the chip and claims that he has been clean for 24 hours, but which he hasn't been. But this is his kind of first inkling of thinking, hold on, there's, there's more to this life. Exactly. It shows, like, I thought this was quite touching. Yeah. It shows, you know, there's a, there's a willingness there mm. uh, in his eyes, but mixed with the sort of a reluctance, and, and he sort of jokes with Johnny Weeks a little bit about it. But you, I think this is a definite shift yeah. for Bubbles. Absolutely. Okay, Kobe, um, I, last night when I was watching this, I... Um, I wrote down a pun that I was working on. I'm looking forward to it. I want to try out on you. Okay. So this is, I mean, this is the best way to introduce a pun. <laughs> I find like the best, the best, the best jokes are ones that you give a huge build up to. Sure. And then they can only fail to disappoint. Okay. So 
Let me <laughs> let me explain the context of this joke. So they were, right. So Bird, they they brought Bird in. Yep. Right. And they were trying to flip him. Okay. Yeah. So turn him so into, a, into flip, a snitch. They're trying to flip the bird. Right. Am okay. I right? Eh? <laughs> eh? Eh? I like it. Eh? <laughs> it's all in the delivery. It's just timing. Eh? I think when you go, eh, like that, that, that adds the extra, extra last to it. <laughs> okay, I think I need to work on my material. But yeah, flipping the bird. <laughs> Right, that's it for episode 7. Join us next week. We're going to be watching season 1, episode 8, Lessons. Thank you, guys. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a lovely review. We love reading them, and we've had some fantastic feedback from you guys. It's been emotional. It has. It's been an emotional roller coaster for all, for all of us. No, thanks, thanks for all the love. Um, and if you want to chat to us in person, we're on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. It's at the Wire Stripped, uh, or email us. Uh, we're burner at thewirestripped.com. And yeah, it'd be great at this point to give a shout out to the Facebook group that we're a part of. It's called the wire all in the game yo those guys have been super supportive of this podcast and we'd love to hear the feedback from you guys Uh, to those people who are listening to this episode join the facebook group because it's really good fun in there yep and thank you to all our guests this week for taking the time out to chat to us yep many thanks to tom as always the third musketeer I don't know the names of the other musketeers. I was going to call him D'Artagnan. Uh, Arthos. He Pathos. was the fourth one, wasn't the four, he? The, yeah, D'Artagnan's the fourth one, isn't he? Yeah, we, yeah we, don't, we don't have a fourth musketeer. <laughs> <laughs> we are now hiring, as of now. Uh, applications to burner at thewirestrip.com. We need a D'Artagnan. We need a D'Artagnan. Please, uh, answers on a postcard. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and we also want to thank uh, Izzy Lawrence. She does all our logo and graphics which look amazing and last but not least Sam and Martin for the sublime song by song podcast for their superb recording of Way Down in the Hole especially for us and we're super touched and this is the tune that you can hear right now and that's it thanks uh, thanks again guys see you next week okay bye bye Hey guys, uh, my name is Andy, uh, listen to the podcast in London, just want to say, absolutely loving it, I've smashed four episodes this afternoon while decorating, can't wait for the re-up on the next one, I started watching The Wire, a mate of mine recommended it to me because I was watching loads and loads of Oz, um, loads of the characters uh, featuring The Wire have, uh, have been in it, uh, the actors, sorry, Daniels, uh, Bodie, Carver, a couple of others I think, just quality, quality show. And yeah, keep up the good work, boys. Bye-bye.